If you want to hear more stories of missing planes and missing ships, don't miss the all-new podcast coming from me. I will be hosting a brand new show that talks about the mysterious ships and planes that just seem to vanish at sea. I will be bringing you the all-new podcast called Vanished by Air and Sea. As you guys know, I had a little tech error yesterday. Two episodes got released. One episode was released missing part of the show. Don't know how that happened, but it did. The episode you're about to hear is the one that was supposed to be released this week. But go ahead and enjoy your two-episode week. If the story of Charlie Allen Jr. really interests you, and like Brittany and I, you have tons of questions left, at the end of the episode, I will try to put in some of the little pieces of conversations and things that she or I pointed out through our interview that really didn't fit into the show. Sometimes it is hard to fit all of that into a storyline. So in order to have the storyline flow and have these interesting pieces of conversation where questions are brought up, I'm going to try to throw them in at the end. And honestly, I would love to hear what you guys think about this. Maybe you have some answers that nobody's thought of. Or maybe you have some questions nobody's thought of that could put pieces together. We aren't detectives. True. But at the end of the day, sometimes a fresh pair of eyes and a new perspective can change a lot. Maybe we have been diving into this too closely. Thank you for dealing with my little tech error this week. And I hope you have enjoyed both episodes or will enjoy both episodes. Also, a little side note. Keep in mind when you're listening to the interviews that they are recorded via phone conversation. So... Sometimes the audio is not as perfect as I would like it, but I've worked very hard to make sure that you could at least hear everything that we were saying. I'm sorry, sometimes cell reception can be my biggest enemy. Here you go, guys. This is the story of Charlie Allen Jr. Hey guys, welcome to If I Go Missing. This is going to be one of those special episodes where I get to talk to one of the family members of the person who went missing. Throughout this episode, you'll hear clips of an interview I did with Charlie Allen Jr.'s sister, Brittany Allen. I have never been so befuddled by a case before. Honestly, it is really difficult to find information about this case online. Generally, when a victim has a history of mental illness, instead of fighting harder to find them, authorities usually use it as a reason to try harder not to. The thought of this really just fires me up, so for a hot minute, I'm going to change directions and say, I hope to God I never go missing because I have anxiety and that anxiety can often lead to depression. I have loved ones who battle depression and other mental illnesses. We are all worth finding and saving. Someone has to become an advocate for mental health because most authorities do not seem to care and this is not meant to be offensive to the ones that do care. It's just when the number of those who don't care outweighs the number of those who do, it gets a little tough for everybody that gets caught in the middle. However, I wish there were more like you out there, you authority figures who do care. That's what we need. Without further ado, this is the story of Charlie Allen Jr. Just a few days before Charlie went missing, he had made the drive over to nearby Rhode Island to visit his little sister, Brittany. 
The pair had always been very close. On this day, Charlie and Brittany were going to go meet their mom for lunch. Charlie's mom said in an interview that the group had an amazing time at lunch that day. Charlie seemed to be very happy and she left the lunch with the two of her children feeling very, very good. As a kid, he was happy, smart. His father said he could get good grades without even trying. His mother describes him as the light of the party. During our talk, I asked Charlie's sister, Brittany, to share some of her favorite memories of her brother and to tell me a little bit about what Charlie was like. Yeah, Charlie was definitely a, like a special person, I think. You know, he, he was super smart. He always, you know, like got straight A's in school and never really had to try very hard. Um, and he was really good at anything that he decided to do. And he would kind of go through hobbies, you know, and just, like, master them. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, like, in high school, he decided that he, you know, liked baseball and he got a, a net and put it in the backyard and he would just pitch at it every day, all day, until he felt like he mastered it, you know. He played computer games like he was, like, the best half-life player in the world for a while, and he just would only do that. So, yeah, he's also just a really silly kind of person. Like, we would laugh a lot, and he liked to have fun. There's a video that's been circulating. Well, there are a couple of videos, but one is, like, him doing karaoke at his his father's birthday party, and he was, um, like, using all sorts of different voices to do it, and he just liked to be silly and fun. And my parents, or my family, I guess, Charlie was involved in it, too. They threw me a surprise birthday party for my 16th birthday, and, you know, it was at that point where when you're 16 or whatever, you're kind of like, or at least I was like, too cool, you know, I was kind of shy, didn't want to make a fool out of myself, sort of thing. But um, Charlie ended up like doing karaoke <laughs> and rapping and just being super silly, and he totally like made the party a good time. Yeah, it ended up being really fun. At first, it was a little awkward, but he made it fun for sure. We all ended up dancing, and <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> um, another good memory, he let um, me and my mom bleach his hair blonde. <laughs> and then we called, we called him Slim Shady. <laughs> Summer after that, it was pretty funny. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. So you two were close in age, and weren't you really close growing up? Yeah. Yeah, we were a year apart, so we were we were really close growing up. Of course, you know, like in high school or in middle school, there were times when we weren't as close because you know we had like different friends or or whatever we were doing, you know, where we would get busy. But, like, generally, I would say that we were really close. We would talk. Brother yeah, brother. we would talk at least, like, every couple of days, you know, if not every day, even, like, when I was in college. How did you – you mostly communicated over Facebook when you were in college, right? I wouldn't say mostly, but we would send each other messages often. I mean, we talked on the phone a lot, too, or, like, we would see each other, but, I, you know, we would use, yeah, we would use Facebook, just like you would Facebook message anyone. But it's strange to think, you know, like, how old he was when he went missing and how old he would be now, you know. Yeah. I always kind of, like, picture him as the same age as me, you know, because he was always the same age as me. But now when I think about him, I have to realize that, like, you know, last time I talked to him, last time I saw him, he was me too, you know. Yeah, that would be a really 
crazy thing to try to wrap your mind around. Yeah, it's strange. <laughs> During high school, Charlie took up online gaming, and he was the best at it. Online, he was referred to as Nia. Brittany even recalled a time during high school where some kids she didn't know came up to her and asked if she was Neo's sister. And she kind of replied like, yeah. She was really taken off guard by this like complete stranger knowing her brother and who she was. After she confirmed to this kid that she was Neo's sister, he went on to tell her how much he admired her brother. Charlie's dad says he even had articles and papers written about him in reference to his gaming accomplishments. He was truly an exceptional person. His father says that during college is when he took up tennis and even made the college team. Just like with gaming, Charlie was determined to be the best. When I asked Brittany about this point in Charlie's life, his days at UMass Dartmouth, this is what she said. Like he seemed really happy right before he disappeared. You know, he said to his friends how much he liked his situation. He had just gotten a new apartment and, you know, liked school. He was pre med, liked playing tennis. One day, Charlie met up with fellow tennis player and student Mason. The two were good friends, and Charlie and Mason would often practice together. And one time, Charlie told Mason he had thought about going down south to train at tennis to see just how good he could become. On October 11, 2007, Charlie and Mason met up to practice tennis like normal. Mason recalls their playing time that day and says nothing was out of the ordinary. Although, at the end of practice, Charlie tells Mason he was invited to a party later that night by a member of the girls' tennis team. Charlie then asks Mason to come along with him to the party. After tennis that day, Mason and Charlie decided to grab a quick dinner on campus. And Mason then made the hour-long drive home back to his house to get ready for the night. And he assumed that Charlie goes back off on his way. When the two guys parted ways, all seemed well. And there was no indication that things were about to take a crazy turn. So... I don't, and he wasn't, like, near his apartment, I guess. He, his car was on campus, and his friend said, like, you know, he was at his car before that. So I don't think he ever went back to his apartment after. 8 p.m. that night rolls around, and Charlie's sister, Brittany, logs onto Facebook to answer a message Charlie had sent her earlier. Brittany and Charlie talked about every day or so on Facebook. So, on this night, when she logged on to message him back, she knew something was up because Charlie's Facebook had been deleted. Brittany then called Charlie to find out what happened. That night, when I, I called him, you know, because I was going to send him a message. Well, we kind of had plans. We had, like, pseudo plans. Because he would come to my school and, you know, go to the bars with me and my friends on certain nights or whatever. So we, I knew it was a possibility that he was going to come to my school and go out that night. So I had gone to like send him a message on Facebook and his, his Facebook account, you know, he couldn't find it. It was deleted. So I thought that was strange. And I called him and I was like, hey, what's up? You know, why did you delete your Facebook? And then he was just like, I didn't, you know, and he just got really strange and weird and sounding paranoid on the phone. I was just like, I didn't do it. But, you know, there are some really important people who are after me. I'm not safe. You're not safe. You should leave school right now. You need to go home. Like, only dad can protect you. You know, you could tell he was, like, running on the phone. He started being, like, out of breath. So, And I'm pretty sure that you know, that was the last time that he had talked to anybody on the phone. After this exchange, Brittany was really worried about her brother's well-being. And the episode on Investigation Discovery also states that she called her father and said, you know, hey, I don't know what's going on with Charlie, but he's really scaring me. 
The episode then goes on to say that at the same time this was going on, Charlie's parents had also received messages. In the voicemail to Charlie's father, he said something along the lines of heading south to Mexico or maybe Florida. However, Charlie's mom says that it was very uncharacteristic of him to leave messages. But in the message he left for her, he mentioned going to Texas. He also said that he needed to be loved more and felt isolated. Charlie's mom, Anne, said that during this call, Charlie sounded as if he was running. And after he mentioned how isolated he felt, the call abruptly hung up. Charlie's mom, Anne, says she tried to call her son back, but he'd already turned off his cell phone. Charlie's family then began trying to place calls to Charlie's phone, but all of the calls kept going to voicemail, no matter who they were from. Then makes the drive back to campus, not knowing that anything's wrong. Mason gets back to campus and waits about an hour and a half before leaving, thinking that Charlie probably just went on to the party without him. So he goes back home, but before he leaves, he tries to reach Charlie one last time. So he calls his cell phone again, but just like all of the calls placed by Charlie's family, Mason's call goes straight to voicemail too. According to Charlie's dad on the Investigation Discovery episode, alarm bells didn't really go off at first because Charlie had actually been known to take off sometimes. He would go catch a tennis match, but when he did things like this, he would always get back to them, like the next day or sometimes even that same night. It was because of this that they didn't overly worry at first because they thought Charlie would turn up the next day. The next day came, and the day after that, and he never turned up, and he never called. Charlie's parents responded by calling the university to let them know that Charlie had vanished. The next time anyone would hear from or see Charlie again would be on Sunday, October 14th, 2007, around 11 a.m., three days after he was last seen. On this day, police get a call by a homeowner to investigate something odd in his backyard. Detective Levinson was dispatched to check out some property that was found in the backyard. The property found by the detective was a backpack. Inside the backpack were things you would expect to see in a college kid's bag. This detective was able to ID who the items belonged to thanks to a notebook inside the backpack. That notebook had the name Charles Allen Jr. written inside of it. Along with the backpack was a pair of tennis shoes. I mean, when I think about it, this doesn't really make sense. I can see ditching the backpack because you don't want it to like slow you down if you're running from something. But I can't understand the shoes. That seems like a very, very big necessity when you're running. I am also not the only one who is at a total loss for an explanation on this one. It's just, it's such a strange story, honestly. Like, I'm sure that you heard that, like, they found his shoes and his back. Yeah. So, like, I don't know why he would have left his shoes and his backpack. Yeah, it doesn't make it. It was really old. That was, like, the first um, frost. In October, and it was old. Like somebody could probably freeze to death, you know. So I don't know. If it were something as simple as that, though, they would have found him by now. So it still leaves there still leaves some hope. Yeah. And yeah, I mean the backpack. I can see maybe dropping it to. Maybe to leave something behind, you know, with this the way I was going kind of thing. Or maybe he needed to run and it was heavy weight, so he dropped it. So the shoes, I can't, I can't make, uh, I can't make a person for the shoes. 
Right, the shoes is a strange thing. I don't know. I've also heard, like, rumors that when people get kidnapped, they'll make them take off their shoes because they don't want them to leave, you know, any tracks or an impression of the... It also make it harder to find play. Yeah. After finding the backpack, Detective Levinson notified the campus, where he then learns that Charlie's actually missing. Bloodhound units are then sent out to see if they can find any trace of Charlie. The canine search turns up no new leads, though. However, campus police do end up finding something of interest around this same time. Campus police actually discovered Charlie's Ford Expedition in the campus parking lot. This is the same expedition that Charlie would often share with his sister, Brittany. This by itself would not normally be unusual, except inside the car they find a pillow and a blanket. To police, it seemed as if Charlie was basically living out of his car instead of in his off-campus apartment. But... Even this didn't seem super off to Brittany. I mean, college kids do weird things and stranger things have happened. The day after Charlie's car was found, the detective that found his backpack was speaking with a fellow cop about his case when the man goes, wait, your missing college kid sounds a lot like a suspect in a case I'm working on. So these guys begin to kind of talk shop and see what's going on. And Detective Levinson finds out that there was a house break not far from campus. This house break also occurred about six hours after Charlie last spoke to Brittany. The story is that a homeowner wakes up to find a guy who's shirtless and coming through her second floor window. So, the story with this is that a homeowner wakes up to find a guy who is shirtless and is coming in through her second floor window. She then has a brief conversation with this man. The homeowner asks him what he's doing climbing through her window. And he replies, oh, nothing. I was just leaving. I was trying to find my friend Mason. She says the guy then proceeds to exit out the window the same way he came in. The homeowner tells police that the young man was actually very polite and after hearing the story and learning that the suspect's physical appearance completely matched that of Charlie, Detective Levinson is sure that this was, in fact, a real sighting of Charlie. Like many things in this case, I really did not understand why he would be going through a second story window. So naturally, this is another one of those things that Brittany and I discussed at length. And we kind of came to the same conclusion. Yeah, so at the break-in, probably was him. I assume it was him, you know, because it was his description. And he said something, oh, I thought this was my friend Mason's house. Yeah. That... You know, I don't know why that happened. He, I would say that he probably, you know, if you climb into a window and there's like an older woman there who is probably scared that you're climbing into a window. Yeah. <laughs> you would want to say, oh, sorry. Yeah, that's what I thought was kind of cute about it. Is she, was, she remarked on how, like, polite he was. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely how he was. Instead of helping the case, this only really seems to intensify the mystery that shrouds Charlie's last known movements. The house where he climbed through the second story window was not even close to Mason's house. In fact, Mason himself says in a documentary that the house was actually a good 30 minutes away from where he lived and it didn't make any sense to him because Charlie knew exactly where Mason lived. During the call one day with Brittany, I asked her about this incident. 
It didn't make any sense to investigators until Charlie's dad says that his son had a history of manic depressive disorder and was bipolar. Charlie's father also says that sometimes Charlie would act erratically and that he may not have been taking his medication as he was supposed to. This would completely explain the erratic behavior he had been exhibiting. Charlie had gotten mood stabilizers and seen a therapist and had begun to do better. One day, though, he told his sister he didn't like to take his medication because it made him feel dead inside, like he couldn't feel happy or sad. The summer before Charlie disappeared, he had stopped taking his medication altogether. He began then to manage his condition with physical activity. Police believe that some kind of psychotic break is what's making Charlie run off. Those who know him best do not believe this. I don't know. It also must be strange to be in a situation where, you know, you have a mental illness and there's a possibility that even if something bad is happening, that people will associate it with your mental illness, like that feeling that nobody will believe you. Yeah. That is a really scary thought for me. You know, maybe he, maybe somebody was after him or maybe he only thought someone was after him. I don't know. But either way, it seems like he didn't think that people would believe him. You know, I've heard a story about a patient who was having a psychotic episode, a schizophrenic patient, and, um, you know, he had been telling the nurses that he was a lawyer and nobody believed him. They just assumed that it was part of his, you know, delusion. And later on, they found out that he really was a lawyer. And this was a story you heard during nursing school, right? Yeah. Okay. And another thing I remember was that you and I think your mom both said on that investigation discovery episode that before he would have like a manic episode, there was always like signs. Yeah. I mean, he was definitely manic at that time. Does that mean that he would be totally psychotic, like, or that he would lose his mind, like, lose touch with reality? I don't think so. But it's, I mean, he was definitely, man. like, you could tell he was a little manic, but he was definitely manic. He was, like, really excited about, you know, tennis and kind of would talk fast, and he was really, like, charismatic, you know, persuasive and just. I don't know. He just had a lot of, like, passion about what he was doing. So I could tell, like, he was a little manic. Um, He was doing weird stuff. Like, he would, like, sleep in his car. I don't know. I just didn't really think it was that strange (laughs) for some reason. I don't know if it's because I was in college, too, and college people do weird stuff. Like, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I know that he was a little manic, or he was, you know, manic at the time, but until that point when I called him and he told me people are after him, I didn't think that there was a chance that he was going to lose touch with reality, like lose yeah. his mind. I didn't see that as a possibility. It's still hard for me to think of that as a possibility that he's out there and doesn't know who he is and doesn't remember his family and stuff. Obviously, it's possible. And I've taken care of, you know, people with schizophrenia or, you know, people who have lost touch with reality. And I know that that is something that can happen to people, but it's hard for me to think about Charlie like that. And that could just be because I'm his sister, you know? Yeah. But I don't know. His mother says that even when Charlie had a manic state, he would always stay sane. He would never lose touch with reality. She also mentions that with Charlie, there was usually a buildup before a manic episode. He didn't have any kind of buildup that she could see, and she had actually seen her son in the days prior to his disappearance. 
and she didn't notice anything off about him. His friend Mason, who saw him that same night, didn't notice anything either. In fact, Mason says he didn't even know his friend was bipolar and described him as being a very level-headed person. Then, when it seems like this just can't get any more confusing, police learn about Charlie's legal name change. His name, Neo, was taken from The Matrix, and Babson came from the film The Gladiator, while Maximus was a family name. Mason says he didn't know of the name change, but Brittany says this had to do with his online gaming life. Online, he was known as Neo. He was well-known there. He was famous there. But police feel like this is his attempt to possibly try to start a new life. And while Brittany doesn't think that the name change was anything really big, she did say that he did have an odd request about it. So... Did you know he had his name changed before he went missing? Yeah, I did. <laughs> I did. He told me that he changed his name, and he, like, showed me his new license and stuff. Okay, because I've seen the show made it look like that was all, like, around the same time he went missing. Like, it was connected, not like something he did beforehand and told people about. <sighs> Well, he did it before. He did it, like, at the beginning of the school year. So, and, you know, it was maybe, like, in August, late August when he did it. And it was kind of weird. I don't know. We were, we were weird, you know. We're, like, kind of, <laughs> we were, my whole family were all kind of weird. So, I just didn't really think anything of it. He, you know, he was a, a junior, and he didn't, like, with his name or, like, feel like it him that well and he also wanted to be famous like he wanted to become I remember him telling me like you know all famous people change their name like your name can be whatever you want to be and I thought it was weird but I was like all right cool do whatever you like to do (laughs) his name just fine he changed it to Neo which like he was famous before as Neo because he was he played Half-Life. You know, he was like one of the best Half-Life players in the world or the best or whatever. And he had a whole following of people who knew him as Neo. So it wasn't like, it didn't come out of nowhere, you know. And yeah, I thought it was a little weird, but I was cool with it. And he had changed his name actually on Facebook for a while. His name was like Neo Bassett Maximus. And I remember there was a girl he, you know, had hooked up with or whatever at my college. She came up to me at the phone and was like, oh, you know, your brother changed his name. I was like, yeah. So people, people knew about it, you know. It wasn't like something that was hidden. And then he, on Facebook, he changed it back. And I had mentioned it to him, and he was like, Let's just keep that a secret from now on. I'm not going to be telling people about that. I don't know if people gave him a hard time about it, you know, and he was more embarrassed about it or... About changing his name? Yeah, or if there was some other reason why he didn't want me to tell people. Hmm. I don't know, but... That's another strange, like, aspect of the story. Normally, when someone goes missing, you look at those closest to them. You look to see if they had any enemies. Charlie's friends and family say he didn't have any enemies. They didn't know of any danger he could have been in either. His former roommate even says he wasn't a troublesome kid. He didn't get into fights or anything, but... His mother and sister don't believe that he would make up being in trouble like that. Brittany believes him and says that she feels like he was really in trouble because she could tell in his voice that he was serious. Meanwhile, police are still searching, looking into why Charlie would have 
just disappeared. With some help from Charlie's family, police learned that he had a very active online life. Though naturally, detectives go to check his computer and they found nothing of any real interest except his last webpage he had been looking at was the webpage for the University of Texas, one of the places he had mentioned possibly going. Police called the University of Texas to see if he had maybe enrolled there by chance, but there was no record of any enrollment. So, while police think the computer was a total bust, Charlie's family is more concerned with what wasn't found on there. That last phone call Charlie made to Brittany, he told her he was in trouble for sending out some emails and that important people were after him. Well, when they went to check his inbox, all of his recent emails were missing. There were no emails from before he went missing. It was just empty. A lot of people think that Charlie may have staged his own disappearance. His family is adamant that he would not have done this. His sister says he was very happy where he was at the time. He loved his apartment, classes, tennis, and he had goals to be a doctor. There are numerous scenarios as to what could have happened to Charlie. Finally, a few weeks after Charlie's last scene, a witness comes forward. A man named Jim Costa works as an electric company troubleshooter. One Saturday morning in October of 2007, he left early for work. On his drive to work, he noticed a very disheveled looking young man with no shirt on. And I can imagine in Massachusetts, this probably stood out like a sore thumb. Not only did this young man stand out because he was very disheveled and had on no shirt, but he was also seen walking towards and approaching a truck driver on Route 6 in Dartmouth shortly after the disappearance. It's because of this that a theory began circulating that Charlie had hitched a ride and left New England. Charlie's case has left so many things unanswered until almost anything seems possible. Two months later, the trail on Charlie was going cold. The calls had stopped coming in. Numerous searches had already been done. Then, one day, a fresh set of eyes was put on the case. Several months after Charlie's last heard from, his family reaches out to private investigator John Lassies. They organize a new search in the wooded areas with ATVs, ground units, cadaver dogs, and other canine units. It was the largest search in the New England area. They used the area where his shoes and backpack were found as reference points. On the third day of searching, one of the search teams came across a set of bones. After an excruciatingly long wait period, or at least what seemed like an excruciatingly long wait period, the bones were found to be that of an animal. The family and the PI do not believe that Charlie is in the woods. It's their belief that he in fact made it out of those woods, but they have no idea where he would have gone after that. Then, in December of 2009, a little more than two years after Charlie was last heard from. At about 4 a.m., there's a sighting of him only 11 miles from campus in New Bedford, Massachusetts. One night, a couple was asleep in their beds and they got a knock at the door. The husband goes downstairs to check and there was this man. The man was definitely not dressed for the weather and he goes on to tell them that he needed help getting back to SMU, which is what UMass Dartmouth was once called. The homeowner's wife was afraid it could turn into some kind of a home invasion situation if her husband went outside to the young man, so the pair decided to call the police for help instead. When the police arrived, the young man was nowhere to be found. The next day, the homeowner mentioned this encounter to a friend and this friend goes on to tell them about Charlie. Curious, the homeowner looks up pictures of Charlie and says he believes 
close to 100% that it was, in fact, Charlie Allen Jr. that was on his doorstep at 4 a.m. in the morning. Since this encounter, no one has seen or heard from Charlie or anyone thought to be him. Authorities do not suspect foul play in Charlie's case, but they believe his bipolar disorder may have contributed to his disappearance. Since his disappearance, Charlie has not used his credit cards, his cell phone, or his bank account. His case remains unsolved, and his family continues to hope for a safe return. If you know anything about what happened to Charlie or where he may be, please reach out to the Dartmouth Police Department at 508-910-1775. At the beginning of the show, I mentioned that there were some questions that just did not fit in to the storyline, but that were kind of relevant and that I want to share with you guys. So what I'm going to do next is let you hear some of the questions that we had left over from our talk, and then I'm going to follow that up with the one video of Charlie that I could actually find online. I think that, like, most people want to just assume, you know, that he was having a psychotic break. But all of, like, the strange stuff about the story, you know, makes me hesitant to just assume that that's what happened. You know, because stranger things have happened. Yeah. And nowadays, people know a lot more about, like, conspiracy theories and and stuff, you know, from different stories. Like, back then, they weren't as popular, I think. But now, you know, people know that strange stuff really does happen, you know? There really are, you know, people who... There really are conspiracies, you know? There really are people who take advantage of other people and... yeah stuff so I don't know since what you told me about the story you heard do you think that there were emails that he had sent to important people that were after him honestly I I really don't know like I I think that it's possible that there were he was very very smart so yeah, anybody I, could have benefited from his help on computer stuff, anything. Right. I mean, I've also considered like maybe he was, you know, online gambling or selling drugs or you know something where he, you know, thought that important people were after him, like people with a lot of power. But I really don't know. It's also possible that he was, you know, having some psychosis and that was like a delusion of his. I just, yeah, I don't know. Bring a track. Like, hey, it's really strange. <laughs> Even the Facebook thing was kind of strange because um, so he deleted his Facebook and then. That was the Thursday that that happened. And then um, a friend of his, I was sent, like, a conversation between two of his friends. Um, And a friend of his, Mason, says in the conversation, I know he went back to his apartment that weekend because he signed off Facebook over the weekend. And I just thought that that was really strange because back then, if you deleted your Facebook, you had to create a new account. I know you were young back then, but mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you remember, like, people would have numerous Facebook profiles because they would, you know, get rid of theirs or whatever. It isn't like now when you can, like, deactivate and reactivate your account. I see what you're saying. Yeah, so I just thought that was really strange, like, how you would have deleted his Facebook but then signed into it again over that weekend. 
I'm not sure. I don't know. I really don't know. You know what else is really weird about it is um, his phone. So he, we never found his phone or his charger, and um, he had turned off his phone when, like, after last time I called him. But then a day or two later, it was turned back on. It rang. It would ring. It rang. Of course, we all left him messages, and his voicemail box was full. But I mean, for months after he disappeared, it would ring. That was the phone company said, "Sorry, we don't have the technology to. We can't ping it." I wonder if they could. Could they? Like, how is that even true? Like, if it rings, they can obviously ping it. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what they said. Sorry, we can't. That doesn't make sense. Obviously, if it was ringing, it was um, on and charged. And Yeah, and if it was on, it was being charged. But it wasn't having any outgoing calls. Right. So then what's the purpose of having it on and keeping it charged? I don't know. And who is charging it? What was with the periodic table of elements? That seems like it could be the biggest clue, but also the biggest question mark. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, of course, we got, like, his all of his stuff, you know, from his apartment and you know, ended up getting his backpack and stuff. And, of course, like, I went through his chemistry books and probably spent hours staring at them, thinking, you know, like, what kind of message could be in here? Did he leave me any kind of message in here? But never found anything, like, worthwhile. So I really don't know. Well, if... Like you mentioned earlier, if he had gotten into some sort of drug thing, it that all that involves chemistry. I mean, it, it's a far cry. It's a stretch. I'll give it that. Yeah. But I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's probably the piece of the story that I, you know, would be more inclined to say maybe he was, like, experiencing a delusion about, but I I don't know. There's a chance. There's always a chance that it wasn't. And I'm just too dumb to get the message. <laughs> I just don't know. Hey, you are the rest of the United States, apparently. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. The only reason I thought about it was because something I actually did pick up in chemistry class. I hate the chemistry. Barely passed with the tutor. <laughs> I do remember one thing I seriously struggled with in chemistry was learning the half-life of something and figuring out the formula of the half-life of an object. Yeah. It's kind of odd that he would reference chemistry like something you would learn in the chemistry class is, is the name of the game he was so well known for playing. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I mean, I don't know why. If that were the case, like, I don't know why he wouldn't just tell me <laughs> that, you know? But unless he was being very cryptic, you know, when he was on the phone with me, maybe because he thought he was being listened to. I'm not sure. Maybe he was trying to protect you as best he could while trying to get a message across. Yeah, that is a possibility. And that's like the only the only time I ever think that he would do that on purpose is if he wanted to protect us, like protect the family. You said he had like a huge following of people from the games? Yeah, definitely. You know, th- conspiracy theory. Second, um, 
what if he, what if it was like some crazy fan? Some crazy what? Like some crazy fan, like of his from the game. What if it was somebody that was just like completely obsessed with how good he was, kind of thing? I don't know. I think like when when he got famous for it. It was, like, years before that. So, unlikely that someone would, like, still be that obsessed with him, you know, at that point when he disappeared, but maybe. I mean, I don't discount any theory, really. (laughs) You close that with a rap song for us, man? When I get addicted to it, that's when I start to understand it. It's like my lesson I've learned from the game. If you want to get good at something, get addicted to it. Oh, yeah. You gonna close that with a rap song for us, man? What? You gonna close that with a rap song for us? Right now? Yeah. Okay. Do some freestyle. I'm at the CPL, yo. I'll probably hell. My style is so terrific. You want to get with it? I'm still gonna take you down. I'll drag you with my aim. I have no shame. I'll bring you pain. You're like a lion, but I can still tame you. You'll be supplying anything, and I'll still drain you. I'll knock you down with my AK, my spray. You want to say, hey, I'll make rhymes tomorrow and today. Man, I play DM with all my friends. You play it again and again to the end. Then I go to CS, and I try my best. But it's hard, because the Euros play 20 hours a day. And I wish I could say, go away. But they have no life, so I take out my knife and I slice them with the CS game, and then I go back to DM, and I'm rambling on now, but I don't care, I'm gonna finish off. All right, good job. <laughs> under pressure, Grace under pressure. That was pretty good, speaking of HLDM, let's hit it. Come on, let's go get some. I know. Yeah. Are you staying here all night? Yeah, I'm leaving tomorrow on my flight. Where are you from? Jeez, um, I'm pumped up. That pumped me up because I know I'm on like camera. And yeah, you're on. That might go up on the rage board, so yeah, I have man. to do good. It <laughs> <laughs> also get made fun of. Yeah. <laughs> like at the beginning when I was screwing up, I was like, oh shit, they're gonna make. I was thinking about the rage board. I was like, oh shit. I saw your mouse hand shaking. It's all about the pressure, bit. just like, just like the match. <laughs> so just trying to keep you cool, dude. There you go. Sorry, man. You did good. Once you got the flow, you were. Cool. Thanks for the time, Thank you for listening to another episode of If I Go Missing. I'm your host, Megan, and I put a lot of thought and hard work into these episodes. I write, edit, and produce them all myself, and it means a lot to me that you guys take the time to listen. If you would like to follow us on social media, our Instagram is at If I Go Missing Podcast. Then we also have our Twitter, and that one is at Megan Noel Pod. If you want to reach out and suggest a case, you can do that on Instagram or Twitter by sending us a DM. We also have a Facebook page called Megan Noel Podcast, and we also have discussion groups for the podcast. And the name of the discussion group is If I Go Missing, a podcast.